Hello, welcome to Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. Let's have our joke now. Thank you, Violet. I'm Chris. I'm the alcoholic joke teller. Um, I have, uh, we're, we're continuing our journey through the grapevine, a grapevine book, A Rabbit Walks Into a Bar. And this is a short one. Sight seen in a bar. Quote, to those drinking to forget, please pay in advance. <laughs> Thank you. That was, that was really funny. Okay, I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Violet. Hi. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation. So please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise that might or will distract others. Take this time to get connected to God. Let's let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? All right. So let's start the meditation. Oh. 
Let's pray the fog light prayer. If you don't know, it's right here. God, let your love shine through me like a fog light so those whom are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. And I've asked Gus to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. Come educate us, Gus. I'm Gus, alcoholic. Spiritual experience. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the response, the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety, because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could have seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With a few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a higher of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance and belligerent denial. We, found that no, we find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. <laughs> Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are, the essential, are essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is a proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. Thank you, Gus. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane or meeting mode. Or tr just turn them off. Um, so tonight we are, we're going to have a wonderful speaker who help, uh, personally he helps me put, put things into perspective that um, I may not have seen if he hadn't said them. So Peter M., welcome to the stage. My name is Peter, recovered alcoholic. 
and uh, Gush will be alive and sober. Um, anyway, it's good to be back here and get to share with everyone uh, my experience with this work. A loving God separated me from alcohol June 23rd, 1988. I'm very grateful to be a recovered member of Alcoholics Anonymous, a uh, member of good standing uh, in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, you know, one, one of the things I've learned by, by watching, I remember when I first came in, old time is my first sponsor even would say, watch and observe. You know, same thing, but watch and observe. And uh, he told me to listen a lot. You know, just be still and listen. And what I've, what I've come to see in, in my walk, and hopefully I never fall prey to this, is, you know, we, we're supposed to come to get and stay to give. And I see uh, folks who kind of lose their way because they never give back to Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I got a meeting here, I got a meeting there, I come and I leave and it's over. <clears throat> but never really get cemented in the group or give time to Alcoholics Anonymous, take a service commitment. I love greeting, uh, make coffee regardless of how long we're sober, uh, take a service commitment, but give back to Alcoholics Anonymous, come early, stay late, hang out, look for the white chippers, things like that. And what I've learned, it's really important, especially the further along I get on this journey, that I need to be giving back. And where God has taken me is I don't have to remember that. It's like Alcoholics Anonymous has pretty much become my life now. I don't have a bridge back to life because I don't want to go back to that life anymore. Bridge back to what? You know, despair and terror and destruction. Um, but this is the life he's given me freely, and I need to nurture that. Fourth um, of July is coming up, and uh, I, w I was sitting in silence before, and I was thinking about this. It kind of, God put it on my heart. Growing up, Fourth of July was my favorite holiday, probably next to Christmas. It was the coolest thing because it was the middle of summer and school was out. And it was a long time before you went back to school, and it was summertime, and it was just, it was just a cool, uh, uh, and I grew up in Brooklyn, and they would set bonfires of fireworks right in the middle of the block. It was just an event, and every, every corner had an event going on, and I really dug it. Fast forward a bunch of years, uh, probably about two years before I got sober, it's like 85, 86-ish. And uh, <clears throat> my uncle lived on a, a, a block in Brooklyn, and, and his house was the house that the door was always open and people just walked in. You know, holidays was open door and people would just hang out, all the holidays, and it was a cool place to hang out. And him and my aunt were pretty cool about it. Um, they weren't, but they had this hippie attitude, come on and hang out. And that's how it was. And uh, this one fourth of July... <clears throat> My dad and my brothers, my dad's wife was going to be there. Uh, my brother's wife was going to be there. It was going to be a, 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 like the heads of the five families were swooping down on my, my uncle's house. It was a big event. And my dad had saw me in the week, and he didn't like my condition, uh, what I look like and sound like. He says, make sure you're at your uncle's house on the 4th. We're all going to be there. Don't disappoint me. That was a clear-cut warning. And so uh, I'm running and gunning, and I had called... Uh, my uncle's house, and he said to me, where are you? I said, I'm on my way. I'm just downtown. I'll be there in a few minutes. And then I called a few hours later, and they picked up the phone. Where are you? I'm on my way. And it went like this. And then I forgot about it. I came out of a blackout, and it was maybe 2, maybe two or 3 o'clock. I don't recall. And um, I called his house collect. And he took the call. And he wasn't so pleasant this time. And he, he read me the riot act. And what he told me was, 
and you better call your dad tomorrow morning because he's furious. And he hung up the phone on me. And I was really taken back by his attitude towards me. <laughs> now, at the time, you know, I'm running and gunning. I'm drunk, and I'm eating pills, and I'm running through the streets. I'm doing a lot of legal things, and I'm in the, in the, in the life. So it wasn't about showing up. And I, if I would have showed up, I would have looked like I'm in the life. I was not going to be, oh, here's Pete. It was like, what is that? And so another day went by and another disappointment, another horror show. And I think about that life that I had and the one I've been given now. And the thing that was constant, besides the obvious drinking and taking other things, the thing that was consistent from the time I was a little guy through my life of, of alcoholism, active alcoholism, and even now, is me trying to figure out what needs to be done and how I can maneuver people, manipulate the pieces to get my desired outcome. And a book says you had to quit playing God. It didn't work. And my, my current condition with this, my current attitude towards this, is any time I'm trying to figure stuff out, lean on me rather than God, try to maneuver things so I get my desired outcome, for me, that's a form of insanity. I have no business managing my, my, my life. And for the last, I'm going to say six months, specifically the last three months, my career has been in this, this, this huge, spectacular upheaval with tons of uncertainty and tons of doubt and tons of skepticism and tons of, oh, my God, where's this going? Everything I've worked so hard for is about to disintegrate right in front of me, just like that, turned on a dime. What do I do now? I'm going to be 63. And I've been through this before. It's not the first, my first rodeo with this kind of challenge in front of me and, and Marion. But what the mind does is forget, like, you've gotten through things like this. God will never drop you. It's going to be changed. You're going to get squeezed. Some things are going to get pulled apart. Some new things are going to be put in. But just keep your eyes on God. Lean on God. Go all the way in. And thank God I'm able to do that. But even... I heard something, even with perfect faith, I will still doubt. And I, I had some of that. And any time I was in, got into the doubting mode, it's because I listened to that voice and it had said, this is not going to work. This is going to be really bad. You get a squeegee, you're going to go outside the Holland Tunnel and start cleaning windshields. This is where you're going. And it just went on, the narrative start. And I'd start to try to figure out First, how to get away from my own mind, which is impossible because the more I do that, deep in a hole I get. And the more I try to figure stuff out, because I have good motives, but as an alcoholic, what the motive should be considered armed and dangerous. I have no good motives. And I'm trying to do a chess match against me. It's a form of insanity. I have no business doing that. But when I kind of got back in the saddle and leaning into God and it came down to wherever you want me to be, I'll be or go, I'll go, do, say, I'm yours. I surrendered the whole thing. And she and I, Mary and I, came up with, just let it unfold. Just let it unfold. Let God do it. Let him move around. We're going to get pushed around, uh, but just let it unfold. And I was faced with two options, and I was move, moving out of South Florida. I was moving up to Tampa. It was all set to go. But there was that little quiet voice that says, how much of this decision is yours and how much is mine? As if God was talking to me. So I pumped the brakes and I just let it unfold. And out of nowhere, two things come out like God sent. Just two things just show up. 
if you will, laid at my feet. I said, okay, I got my answer. It was a tremendous learning experience. I'm black and blue from it. I'm exhausted from it, you know. Uh, I'm tired from it. I've wept because of it. But I'm still in the saddle and still trusting God. And I knew deep down in my soul that I cannot, when I say I can't make a decision, at some point you have to say yes or no, but I couldn't make that decision. It had to be given to me to stay out of the insanity of running my life. And I think about how many times when I get phone calls from uh, sponsees or just over a cup of coffee with the drunk on a lot of the stuff we're going through is because of the self-will run riot and they don't think so. <laughs> it's decisions you're making or things I'm seeing or my point of view on life that completely sounds like a cat with one day back and you've got double-digit sobriety because my hands are on the wheel and I'm not letting go because I want the outcome to look this way and God's going, that's not where I need you. I need you here. And it seems to be the more I, I come at God with this spirit, if you will, of surrender, the more I come at God with a spirit of brokenness, the more I come at God with more transparency, not that he can't see through me, but willing to be exposed as much as possible, the greater strength I get and the brighter the light becomes. I was sharing with some folks the other day you know, I, I shared here how we never picked up the first drink drunk. And I, I remember uh, getting locked up in, in, in lower Manhattan. Um, and housing police picked me up and took me to this, this holding place on Jackson Street. And they take you to 100 Center Street. It was my first time getting arrested. I am petrified. I think I'm the only guy, first arrest, I'm getting the electric chair at midnight. I know this is going to happen. And Bubba's going to be my roommate in an hour. And this is not going to work out good. Petrified. And when I first got into the tombs, you know, you get all the lawyers in, in, the, in the cell, they all know, they know law better than F. Lee Bailey. And uh, I'm sitting there like this, I'm not moving. And by around midnight, I'm underneath the bench lying on the floor. I don't even care, ready to eat the bologna sandwiches. And the young lady that I got arrested with me, I called her girlfriend, who was a running partner, right? Uh, her mom worked for some judge at Center Street, and they kind of pushed our records through us, and we got to see the judge, and they released us, something called ROR. And I remember walking out and to the judge, and my dad and two of my uncles were there, and I was going to say, take me back in jail. I'm safer right now. I didn't face these. And uh, they released me. And I remember when I got arrested, and the handcuffs went on me for the first time. I thought I was going to die. And I was hoping to say, did you learn your lesson? Now don't come back here anymore. Now I'm property of New York. And I'm thinking as they're taking me um, on the wagon to get booked, I'm never going to do this again. I'm done. I'm never going to do this again. I'm so done. I'm never, ever, ever going to live a good life. No more drinking, no more drugging, no more nothing. Soon as they released me and I got out of the possession of my dad and my uncles, you know the first move I made? Immediately. Because this mind, this predator, wants me dead, will settle for me drunk. And it gets me every time. It convinces me every time. Sometimes I don't even think of consequences. And sometimes when I do think of consequences, well, it won't be that bad. I'm just going to do my, my illness will pay any price tomorrow to seek comfort right now. Just a, just a little taste, just a little, just a little one shot. I mean, what's one shot? One shot of whiskey? One pop off a court. I mean, what's the big deal here? I mean, I got 82 days now. I'm God, I'm God, you know, whatever we got. And I did that over and over and over again, as many in this room have done. Never pick up, picking up the first drink drunk. 
stone cold sober. Getting out of a treatment center after nine weeks, two days later, I'm blind drunk. My body doesn't need alcohol. The mind says, yeah, you do. What am I going to do about this thing? I think, I think it was Thomas Merton. I'm not sure. Talks about hitting bottom. We realize we come to a place called the bankruptcy of my strategies, he's called it. And I have a choice to stay in denial and delusion or live in despair and destruction. A book talks about going on to the bitter end or accept spiritual help. It sounds easy to a civilian says, then take the spiritual help. What's the problem? You're dying. It's so easy. Take door number two. We have a debate over this. Right? Running around with all sorts of diseases besides alcoholism because of where we're, what we're doing and, and who we're hanging out with. And we're falling apart. We're homeless with daily humiliation, degradations like I was. And I'm debating, should I go to AA? I mean, it's a little radical. It's drastic. They like you there all the time. I don't really have a schedule that fits that. <laughs> and then June 23rd, 1988 showed up. My God day. My sober day, uh, I mean, I hope I keep having belly button birthdays, but my sober day is much more important than my own birthday. Because it was the turning point of my, everything changed on June 23rd, 1988, in the back of an abandoned building with six treatment centers behind me. I'm homeless for a long time. I haven't bathed, haven't had a square meal. I'm a filthy bum on the street, and suddenly my life was about to get better. You couldn't sell me that. And I've been to six treatment centers, but, you, you know, an insurance policy can't buy the soul. Money can't buy the soul. This has to happen. And very often, as I said from a million of these podiums, I can't see God coming. I still can't. And I can't see my addiction coming. I still can't. It just seems to show up. And on June 23rd, 1980, I hit that place. And that place we all get, whether it's Park Avenue or Park Bench, for me it was basically a park bench. I'm in the back of an abandoned building hallway sleeping on the floor. That's my home. It's filthy. It's disgusting. I'm in worse shape. You get to that point, I got to that point in that despair, in that destruction of my life, that this time that little voice sticks. Because I'm so desperate and the ego for a moment stops. Yeah? And the desperation screams louder than the ego for a brief moment. Because the ego will stop breathing again, but in that brief moment there's a vacuum. Now I didn't know this was going on with me back then. I had no days. I had no hours. But God doesn't care. God doesn't need me to have 90 days to show up. If we think about our life, the last day of using, how we got into treatment, there was something got turned on or something we paid attention to. And it usually comes when I'm out of options, when I'm broken to the floor, if you will. And that is this. Is it possible? Is it possible that there's something that can help me? Is it possible this God who I despise might be able to help me? Is it possible those people who would bring the meetings into treatment centers, they're from AA, they're sober. Is it possible that place works? That's all that's needed. There's an opening. There's a crack in the armor. Yeah? That little spot. And at that moment, when I'm split open, a little light gets in and something starts to change. I have 
faith, and faith is only good as a vessel it's in, but the vessel is there, and it's a mustard seed of faith, enough to move a mountain, and suddenly something else is doing my thinking, like maybe there's a power greater than myself. It's that those AA folks, maybe if God's going to listen to me this time, I can get out of this. But there's a condition on that. I can't, take, can't resume control at any time. That's the contract. God take my life, I can't take it back. And when we look, when we hear stories about, you know, I, I surrendered to God and I'm running into a wall again it's because I took over. I forgot about that commitment. And we're all going to do it from time to time. How long I do it is really going to determine my, my journey. And in that moment, looking, because we live like forward and understand that back when something happened, and truly, I got surrendered. I would tell you for years how I surrendered on that day, but that implies a lot of self-reliance, doesn't it? I'm going to surrender. I'm going to quit. I'm going to go to AA. Who's running that show? Me. There was nothing. There was no thought about Alcoholics Anonymous, steps, detox, treatment, none of it. I don't know what to do. Great thing. As soon as I say I know, I stop learning anyway, even currently. I don't know what to do. All I know is I don't want to die. So this thing happened. Is it possible? And I remember crying out to God, please take me from this. I don't want to die. The journey started. It didn't feel godly. It didn't sound godly. I didn't smell godly. I didn't look godly. But it was all God. In that moment of desperation, the ground is really fertile. Well, I can't. I hope he does. God could and would if he was sought. I'm happy to report to you God can and has. Because seeing is believing. I'm here. I'm sober. I haven't had a drink or a drug in many, many years. And even beyond that, the thought about drinking or drugging has been long gone. A day at a time. Tomorrow's another day. So there was this thing that happened. Now, I don't know who this God is. And in the same breath, I do know who he is because he saved me. I don't know who I am, but I do know I'm the one he saved. Yeah. And all I have to do is look in the mirror and say, I'm sober another day. And sometimes when you're around here, well, you can lose sight of that. And so I got to learn the concepts, the traditions. I got to be, I got to be Moses in, you know, by next month because I'm speaking. And we can lose sight of the fact that I woke up sober next to someone that I know. There's a radical plan. And then not knocking on the door, time to check out. I mean, this is unbelievable. Came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. Before I even entertained that, I have to experience what I had to experience, and that was hitting that bottom. As Richard Ross says, we fall up. But it's a long way to get there for many of us. There's a great quote that says, help me, I have fallen into the hands of a living God. Why would I say, help me, I've fallen into the living God? You would say, this is great, I'm falling into the hands of the living God. It's because that fall, there's nothing to hold on to anymore. It almost feels like a free fall, like there are no options, nothing works, and I know, and it's scary as heck, but I land right in his hands. And then my life is no longer any of my business. <coughs> This journey we're on, it's, I think I shared it last week, it's a pointer out from this madness, from this, this, this life of active alcoholism. And what I need to be really mindful of is I can suffer from alcoholism while I'm sober. 
I can be full-blown alcoholic and not put a drink in me. I can die from my alcoholism without ever drinking again. I'll blow my brains out. I'll OD on medication and go to a doctor. I'm having anxiety attacks, and he gives me medication. I go back to my house and drink and eat all of it. But I didn't pick up a drink. Alcoholism, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. How am I, how are we gonna, how am I gonna treat this? How am I gonna put it at bay? Make it go dormant and experience what our book is talking about, freedom and walking in his light, which starts for me with step one. Of myself, I am nothing. The Father doeth the works. Do I know that deep down in here? It was a long time for me to get there. I tried to kill myself once because my mind had me convinced. This is never going to happen. You know, those H&I cats who come in, they all look all glossy and shiny, got all the answers, you know, and they tell you they're working, they're going, they have a relationship, and they, they have a car they actually drove to that hospital with. It's their own car, and it's registered. This is unbelievable. <laughs> and... You know, it's, it's, I would admire it, but I go back to my room and say, how do you do, that's not going to happen. How's this, how am I going to do this? And all I could think of is I need another drink to figure out how not to do that. <laughs> so it's a pointer out of all of this. My mind had me convinced I'm just better off dead. You know, the, 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 the recall, uh, the, the, the realization, the aha moments were doom and gloom, like you're a drunken bum and you're destroying your family. You've destroyed your life. You destroyed every woman you've been with. You destroyed every opportunity put in front of you. You ruined your music career. It's gone. No one's going to touch you. Let's just die and get out. And alcoholism relishes that, that moment. Came to believe is a, a journey. That at some point, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, for me, it was over time what they talk about, the educational variety, albeit there were aha moments in there. And I'm so glad God kept me like, what's the word I'm looking at? I didn't know a lot of AA. I knew basically nothing. So I wasn't coming to AA saying, when's my spiritual awakening going to happen? Our ignorance is bliss here. I, I wasn't sure what was going on. I'm just walking. So there were a lot of aha moments along this journey, but step two is the pointer out of all of this for me. It's the road sign ahead. Do I want to follow that path and get to a place of sanity, wholeness of mind, all by the touch of the master's hand, where this renewal of the mind is really an awakening of the spirit? This mind still talks. It's not pretty. It's not good. But because of the spiritual muscles I got by working out in the AA gym, it overcomes this. Like what I was sharing about the past few months, it spoke, it spoke loud. And I'd listen once in a while and lean in, but something said, no, push, pull back out. I got you, I got you. Just put one foot in front of the other, it'll unfold. I got you. That's the quiet voice. In our book, it talks about how many of us would bristle with antagonism when we mention the subject of God. I was one of them. I'm a cradle Catholic. A lot of problems with the church. The church didn't save my mom. God didn't save my mom. God gave me a dad I never got along with growing up. Where's God? God, I, I'm, I'm drunk and a dolphin. Look at me. Where's God? There's no God. I would bristle with antagonism, especially when holy rollers. I remember living in, uh, down to, in Red Hook, Brooklyn, Coffee Park. I was literally sleeping on a bench. 
and the Bible beaters would come in and, you know, Jesus loves you. I said, that's nice to hear, but I guess he forgot me. And I'd curse at them and they'd walk away. So what am I going to do about this power greater than myself that kind of started to reveal himself in the back of a hallway in this abandoned building? And it was you. Because I would come to an AA meeting and I would see this G.O.D., this group of drunks. And no one in AA ever tried to hurt me. Maybe some bad advice, but they meant to help. No one was out there so vicious to let's screw this guy's recovery up. I disagree with some things, but they're all trying to help. Go to more meetings, make more coffee, get, double up. You know, that stuff doesn't bring me to a spiritual awakening, but they were trying to help. It was a group of junks for good old direction that was born out of the, my first GOG, and that was the gift of desperation on June 23rd, nineteen It was split open. It says in my big book, do I now believe or am I even willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself? They're allowing me to proceed without even having a conception of God right now. They're allowing me to proceed where I'm still, I'm not sure about this God, but I'm willing to try something other than me. We're on our way. It's a really wide road they start us out on. All inclusive, not exclusive. We're not a fancy country club. It's like, come on in. I get a desire to drink, come on in. And God's the same way. What got in the way were my perceptions and conceptions, my ideas, my thoughts about this power called God, because I was so naive that I would think spirituality and religion were the same. For me, where I am currently, they are. That's just where I'm at right now. They just meet. I see more similarities than differences. But at the beginning, I thought they were the same. And I said, well, what does this mean? I have to become religious now. And they said, no, you don't. But the walk we do in AA looks religious. Picking up the phone all hours of night and, and ministering to God's kids who are sick and suffering. That, that's, that's, that's work. That's God's work. There's no label on it, though. So it was a, this gift of desperation that gave me a group of drunks for the good only direction. And I would, they would say, when you get home, um, make sure you're praying and thank God for keeping you sober today. So I did that. I don't know what's going to happen out of this. I was really sheepish about praying, especially with my track record. How dare I go to God and ask him for mercy when I've screwed up everything? My brothers aren't talking to me. My grandparents aren't talking to me. My dad is checking in with me, but he's really kind of a little rough on the phone with me, mostly barking. But I kept doing it, and I kept going to meetings. And then something happened because I was in Alcoholics Anonymous, not around Alcoholics Anonymous. It became really important to me. God was already working for me. It became really important to me, and I didn't even realize it. I was practicing fidelity to AA. I began to practice fidelity to God. I didn't even know I was doing this. And therefore, I was experiencing God's fidelity to me and AA's fidelity to me, meaning they weren't leaving me. They weren't turning their back on me. Nothing better else came along. And the old time has made me feel really important when I sat down. This was happening. I began to get faithful to this practice, and the practice was faithful to me. I pray, I stay sober. I go to a meeting, I stay sober. I pray, I stay sober. I go to a meeting, I stay sober. How's this happening? 
10 days, 20 days, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, six months, first year, how to, how to get here. I kept leaning in and praying to this power called God. And I, I'm a Catholic, so I'm praying to the carpenter. I'm not sure if he's paying attention. But my own reason, what step two reminds me of seeing is believing. I couldn't deny what was happening in my life. And at the beginning, when I came home from Minnesota, I was doing it in Minnesota. The winters were tough to do it out there, the one winter I spend out there. When I got back to New York, you know, you have running partners in recovery when you're new. You know, you're knocking out three, four meetings a day. Which one? We were going to the new meeting. We're going to the three o'clock meeting. We're going to a double, a double header at uh, this group tonight. And so you did. And we, weekends, we go to a midnight meeting, and they burn candles, and it was like a seance, but there's an AA meeting going on. And then you find yourself in a diner at three o'clock in the morning, you know, having a pot of coffee with four guys. That's all the money you have to afford is one pot of coffee. And you go home like, you know, like a crackhead, and it's four o'clock in the morning, wake up and do it all over again. What meeting are we going to? And then they had the, uh, you know, those alkathons where you smoke too many cigarettes and drink way too much coffee, but you're in that room all day long and you get another day. I look back on it, God, God was alive and well, and it still wasn't tangible. And I finally got a sponsor who began this journey, like walking through this book and walking through the steps. And when I got to chapter to the agnostics, it blew my mind. My sponsor showed me the bullets in chapter to the agnostic. He wasn't a line-by-line guy. He pulled out bullets and told me to read and write about them and sit with them in meditation. But it blew my mind how chapter to agnostics actually put my hand in God's hand, and figuratively speaking, because it told me how to find God. As to lay aside prejudice, old ideas about this power called God. Lay aside my old perceptions and conceptions about God. They didn't tell me, Pete, your old ideas were wrong. They just said, we're going to make room for new. We'll figure it out on the back end. Just, just make room for new. Just some considerations for you. And where was I to find this God? Not out there like I was looking for the longest time. It's in that meeting. It's in that workshop. It's in this relationship. If I get enough money, always looking outside of me. And I can never touch what's outside of me until I first experience what's inside of me. And I was a long way from that. But they said the great reality, another way of saying God was deep down within. He was with me in an abandoned building. God doesn't love me. If I change, he loves me. So I change. I had to wake up to that. This merciful God that AA put right in my lap. You know, when I'm drinking that whiskey, this one's going to get me there. And to get to a point in my journey in drinking, it never got me anywhere. I had to get into another bottle. That's what I needed to do because it wasn't flipping me. And for some reason, I come into AA, tore up from the floor up, and God gets me there. And some days are challenging. Some days I feel like I'm grinding out. God, are you paying attention? Oh, he is. And every prayer is answered, yes and no. And sometimes I need to be patient with God. My Lord, he's been so patient with me. I mean, if I was a friend to me, I would have dumped me a long time ago. Here he goes again. Close the doors, make out we're not home. And God keeps saying, come on in. The great reality is deep down within. Some mustard seed of willingness to believe. Willingness and willingness and will over and over and over again throughout this whole journey. Am I willing? It doesn't say I have to do it, but am I willing? Are you willing to leave and move to a different place? Are you willing to leave this home group and go to another home group? That doesn't mean you're going to do it, but are you willing to do that? 
Now, I don't know about you, in the pursuit of alcohol or money to get alcohol, I'm willing to walk to Timbuktu barefoot. And for my little dope fiends out there, when you're dope sick, we're willing to do anything. My little crackheads out there, when you need not hit a crack, we're willing to do anything. Just for one more. I come into AA, and say, well, you want to believe in this loving, merciful, careful, caring God who's going to make your life so wonderful. I don't know about this. Let me think. And why should I find this power? It tells me how, where, and why. When I see people solving their problems with the simple reliance upon the spirit of the universe, I have to stop doubting the power of God. The guy idea worked. Mine don't. Mine never did. So I would walk into these meetings, and one meeting in particular, Minnesota, the three legacies meeting, Friday night meeting, 300 people. They looked impeccable. And the speakers would talk about how God did for them what they can never do for themselves. And in the little talk over coffee pot, you hear about God. They take you to the diner talking about God, their relationship with God, with all of life's problems, this problematic life we live in. Was God God? How could I deny that? When Joe, the old timer, Mary, the old timer, get up there and say, I'm making 30 years, 40 years, and 50 years, I thank God and Alcoholics Anonymous. I can't deny what my eyes are seeing and my ears are hearing. And the reason why I can't deny because God gives me and gives us new eyes to see and ears on the soul for the first time. We're hearing from the soul. I'm not hearing with the head anymore. The sanity I'm being restored to. I mean, you know, drunk and disorderly. You drink, you get courage to do stuff. Or I'll break into that, and I'll steal that, I'll get into this fight. You do stuff. I'll sleep with this, I'll sleep with that. But it's being sober and going back to that which is going to kill me. My mind will always take me back to that which is killing me. And I buy the lie, and the truth shows up. It's interesting. My alcoholism can't go to the liquor store and buy a fifth. It needs me to go there and put the money. I'm the carrier. I'm the host. It takes, we need a drink. You're right. Let's go. And the scary thing about alcoholism, it'll go underground and resurface in other areas. This is another form of insanity, another, another tentacle of alcoholism. I'm in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, yeah? I'm clean and sober, and I'm getting my 60-day, 90-day, whatever it is chip I'm getting, maybe a one- or two-year chip. And I look so, I sound so, because I got the AA language. I, I'm, I'm fronting really well right now. I'm coming in freshly dipped, nice and gloss with the tan. I'm a little CrossFit guy, so I'm wearing tight shirts, so I look really good. And uh, that's a joke. And uh, don't beat me up. Um, just kidding. Um, my idol right here. Um, and we, we do that. But what I start to experience while I'm sober is alcohols and go underground resurface in other areas. I'm on a sex spree. I'm going to places. I'm chasing ladies. And when I came in, we didn't have the internet, but you, you, you're doing things on my computer. And I can't get out. Yeah? Or I'm at the casino. Or I'm at the racetrack. Or I'm calling up, you know, Joey Bookmaker and putting bets on because it's football season. After all, men bet, and this is good. But I can't keep, I can't stop betting. I'm betting the rent. I'm betting the, the, the money for the baby's diapers and for me. I'm doing all of this stuff. 
or I develop an eating disorder. That's what happened to me in my first year. I developed an eating disorder. It was probably always there, but it came to, it just showed up. I can't get out of binging and purging, and I'm getting sick from it. I'm not telling anyone about it, which really means you got a problem, yeah? It's like, hey, can I talk to your sponsor? I'm binging and purging. Can we fix this? No one's going to know. I was getting very sick from that. And it's food, and it's shopping, and just keep going. Because if, for me, if my spirituality doesn't touch every single area of my life, it touches none of my life. So I was delinquent in a few areas. And I got caught up into what I spoke about last week, where I got stuck on the second half of the first step. My life was really appeared to be very unmanageable. With the drinking and living conditions, my life is very unmanageable. Anyone can see that. A blind man can say, you're unmanageable. And then I come into Alcoholics Anonymous, and I get the little AA job, and I get some new clothes because I'm working, and I'm clean-shaven, I'm brushing my hair, I smell pleasant, everything looks good, I'm polite. I'm, teach, I'm being taught etiquette in AA. And everyone say, you look good, you sound good, you look good, you sound good, you look good, you sound good. I say, I'm good. I'm manageable again. Now all I have to do is manage this life, manage this external condition, keep looking good and sounding good. Do not go into a meeting when you need a shave because they're going to think you're relapsing. Do not go into a meeting with scruffy-looking sneakers. They're going to think something's wrong. So make sure you look pretty. Now listen, I'm one for getting dressed for AA. I, I, I don't think I've ever walked into a meeting looking like I'm going to commit a felony as soon as the meeting's over. It, you bring respect to it. But I was doing it for a different reason. I'm trying to manage everything because my life is manageable, forgetting, forgetting no matter what the outside world looks like, I'm still an alcoholic and I'm still going to pick up a drink unless I get this power involved in my life, this spiritual immersion connected to this power called God. And I don't need a PhD to do that. I don't need to be a priest, a monk, a rabbi, a minister, because God doesn't care about that. He'll select those people to do that walk. I'm coming to him as a broken child. Please help me. Like any of us have children, if our children are crying and say, Mommy, Daddy, please help, we're going to do whatever we have to do to eliminate the pain. Imagine what God can do. So here I am at the very beginning of this journey. I'm busted up in step one. My mind won't shut down. It keeps me up at night. It has a hundred voices going on during the day. I'm a new guy. I'm sitting in a meeting. They told me sit in the front. I'm trying to sit in the front. And I got 40 conversations going on. We need to get out of here. You don't belong here. You're not like these people. I should stay. I need to be, get well. No, you shouldn't. Yes, I should. What are we eating? I have no money. I don't know. All day long. And the, the inadequacy that went along with that, the inferiority feelings I had that went along with that, all, all fueled by fear and self-reliance. What am I going to do about this? I tried to give up the control and the, the voices in the head, but um, it, it's usually uh, not willfully relinquished, as this author says, but more often involuntarily shattered. When I finally hit the walls, I can't, I can't. Tell me what to do to get away from this. And the answer was always the same. Where are you with God? I talk to new folks when I'm sponsoring. I want to know about who they're praying to. Tell me about your God. I have no God. Okay, we can start with that. Well, I pray to this God. Tell me about it. Let me, what does your prayer life sound like? When you're praying in the morning, what does that sound like? 
Because the sponsees give me spiritual consent to ask those questions. What's your prayer life sound like in the morning? Who are you praying to? How much time do you spend in there? How much communing do you do with this God? Or just do morning and evening, cover your, cover your butt with the book. On awakening, when retire, I'm off the hook. So if I wake up at 7 in the morning, let's pretend I wake up at 7 in the morning and I go to bed at midnight, 12, 17 hours, did I do that right? About 17 hours during the day. Okay. If I took one hour in the morning on awakening and one hour at night on, when I retire, that's 15 hours of busy work. I can't afford to leave God over there for 15 other hours or 10 hours or 12 hours or for 15 minutes. What am I doing during the day? Some of us have really busy lives. Some of us are raising children and working and belong to a home group and doing things. What am I doing about that? Am I getting communing time? I'll make sure I drive five miles out of the way in traffic to get cigars or drive to the gym, make sure I get there at like 5.30 in the morning so I could be home, meet Marion, have coffee, get to, I'll do that. But you're telling me I can't spend 15 minutes there, 10 minutes there, or on my lunch break, just commune with God because that's the only solution. To this. My book says I'm suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience would conquer. I remember writing uh, my first fourth step and um, I had a desk, it's still in my apartment now, uh, that I had gotten a long, long, long time ago, and I kept it. And um, I had this, this desk, and I, uh, not a desk, a bookshelf, and I made it into a desk. I didn't have anything else, so I would push as far against it as I can, and I had a broken, wobbly chair, the three-wheel, the three-legged chair with the wheels, and if you lean too far, you fall off, and that was my furniture. And... Um, I had uh, a little night uh, lamp stand, those little things you put on a nightstand, and that was broken, and um, I had a notepad, a big book, and a pen. <coughs> and I'm st <coughs> starting to do my fourth step. Oh, what an order, I can't go through with it. And desperation is the thing that kept me paying attention. It was interesting what happened because my sponsor had reminded me about praying. I remember one night, uh, my sponsor says, uh, you stay home from the meeting tonight and you do your inventory. You won't get drunk. One night a week, you stay home and finish this inventory. You won't get drunk. You're not cutting out of AA. You're doing step work. So I was home this one night. And I think it was a Thursday night. I used to stay home at the time. And I, I pull up against this bookcase, and I take out my notepad, get my pen, and um, had a cup of coffee. And I'm looking out the window. I can see the Verrazano Bridge in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. And on top of the bridge, they have these lights that flash. And I'm full of, like, am I ever going to do this? Am, am I going to really stay sober this time? And I'm, I'm, I'm feeling it. And I, I see these lights flashing, and I remember sitting at the desk, putting, closing the book, and putting my hands together and begging because I read ahead in the fifth step said uh, uh, that if I don't finish this fifth step, I'm going to drink again, which means I have to do a fourth step. And I remember begging uh, the, the God, uh, my carpenter, please, I don't care if I stay here at midnight, please, 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 please let me do this. I wasn't even asked to do it right. Just let me do something. Let me do something right for the first time in my life. 
because I kind of like being sober now. I don't want to go back to the neighborhood, to that life. I'll never make it. And I stood there and I prayed. I sat there and prayed. I don't know how long I prayed for. But I was in the care of this power called God before I had the aha moment that he really does care for me as much as he cares for you. And what began to happen was the insane thought started to dwindle. The insanity of going back to something and thinking it's going to be different this time. I can get away with this time. I can do a little bit of that and I can do a little bit of that. But if my sponsor asks me, I'm not doing any of this stuff. And I insist my sponsees don't either, but I can. That's the power of this predator called the mind. I was being restored to sanity or wholeness of mind or one with God or living in truth. I can't get drunk on that stuff. And I remember that first fourth step. And I, my hand to God, I, every, I just finished the fourth or four and five a few weeks ago. When I was writing that fourth step, I'm immediately taken back to that first time I wrote it. It's like, let's not get too big here. Remember the first time you wrote it? And I was force-fed a spirit of humility that of myself I am nothing, the Father doeth the works. Um, so came to believe that a power greater myself could restore me to sanity. Um, I've heard folks say it's a conclusion of the mind. I have a different experience with that. Any conclusion of my mind usually is not going to have a good outcome. But something deep down in here that says, I'm going to listen to you. you you're taking me through the steps. Peter, go home. I want you, oh, I'm going to do that. That's soul work. There's something going on in here that's allowing me to listen to you when this is saying, don't. And I chop wood and carry water and chop wood and carry water. And I'm happy to report to you the good news. Where it says, um, I'm alcohol, cannot manage my own life. That no human power can relieve my alcoholism. That God could and would if he was sought. As I said a few minutes ago, God can and has and continues to do so. All I have to do is seek. He's always present. That's all I got. Peace. Okay, thank you again, Peter. Um, so now it's time for the secretary's report. Hello, everyone. Oh, uh, I am your recovered alcohol secretary. to explain my many people in this group may identify as recovered rather than recovering and what exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. And Jerry will tell you more. Hello, my name is Jerry. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol remains with us for our lifetime. 
but we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. We are now seeing where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you, Gary. All right. 1940-style big book sponsorship from forward to the second edition, Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75-plus percent success rate. Awesome. So now I may ask, is there anyone out there that um, could use a sponsor at this time? Awesome. If you don't mind standing and... Thank you. What's your name? Thank you, Julie. Jeremy? Thank you, sir. Jeremy. So, now for the fun part, we got some announcements. Um, all right, AA Intergroup is where you can buy literature and medallions, is responsible for creating our where and when and scheduling AA hotline. Stop by and say what's up to them. Next, please. All right, BCIC is responsible for bringing meetings into places where people like us can't get out to an AA meeting, such as jails, detoxes, rehabs. They meet monthly to organize <clears throat> the meetings and at the 12-step house. Is there anyone here from BCIC? Yes, I'm recovered alcoholic, and my name is Peter. Yeah, you are, Peter. Hello. Thank you, Peter. If you want to join, please uh, get with Peter after. All right. Um, next. Okay. So we got some volunteer commitments. Um, as you can see, planning meeting um, for these guys at 101 Club. For more info, please kind of see the flyers in the back, too. We have those. Uh, all right. 65th Florida State Convention. That's a good time, I'm sure. Um, Peter M. will continually be here, um, so we're grateful for that, as well as um, my ho other home group in uh, Monday, right upstairs. Um, the big book comes alive. We got three speakers line by line. It's a good time. Um, that's kind of where 
my recovery really kind of took off itself, so highly recommend. All right. Um, as you can see, beautifully displayed in the back, we do have CDs, large print, big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries that are for sale. Um, pick those up. We meet every Thursday here, probably starting at 7.15. Come at 6.30 for fellowship. We ask you to be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. Thank you all. See you next week. Okay, so thank you, Joey. We have tonight's session and all past speakers podcast at alcoholicsandgod.org. Um, and again, please come to our Monday Big Book Study. We have great discussions going on over there, and it's a really interesting spin on a Big Book Study. Um, so anybody who would like to thank Peter, please line up down the center aisle to thank him. Um, and let's close with the Lord's Prayer while sitting down. Okay, who woke us up this morning? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thy is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. It doesn't matter
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. See 
the light Count my blessings when I go to sleep at night And I dream now Yeah, I dream now And everything's alright <laughs> Oh, man Going on 10 years old, that song is God bless I love you, Mike Chase Bye
guarantee. Got one man that just won't say. 